Welcome to Bible study. It's very good to be with you again and thank you for tuning in with us. Today it's a great study again and um, we'll look at it uh, in a minute, but just before that uh, I would like to welcome each of the members of this panel again. Today we are grateful to have uh, Pastor Joseph with us. Thank you Joseph coming and facilitating this Bible study. Len, next to him there. Uh, hi Len. Yes, hello listeners. Great to be with you again. Ken, thank you again for coming with us. No problem. Morning all. And Helen, good to have you again. Thank you, Nick. It's lovely to be here. Pastor Stephen, welcome uh, with us also. It's nice to be here, Nick. Thank you very much for inviting me. Time is very precious for this sort of studies, you know, and we'd like to just go straight into the um, Bible study with um, Joseph. And um, just uh, I'll just pass it to you, Joseph, mm. right now, and you take us through. Okay. Thank you, Nick. And... Uh, Welcome panel, it's great to be uh, here together again and I'm really looking forward to our time together as we, as we look at this Bible study and as we continue working through the book of Acts. But as always, uh, before we go any further and before we get into our study, uh, we, we really want to pray that God's Spirit will guide us as we share together, as we discuss this together. So why don't we pause for a moment and have a prayer together. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you. Uh, that you're a God who's given us the scriptures, the Bible, to be able to read, to appreciate, to understand and to enjoy. And uh, as we are now going to this study, looking into the book of Acts and the, the early Christian church, I pray that your spirit will help us to understand uh, what we are reading, what we're talking about, and most of all, that we'll be able to take valuable insights and lessons for us. And I pray that you bless all those tuning in and our time together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are now continuing looking at Acts. We're going to be looking at what I find very, very interesting. Uh, for anyone that has had any, any understanding or any dealing with the Bible or a church or whatever, because we're, we're really looking here at the very first Christian church. We're going to be going to passages in, in Acts chapter 2. Then over to Acts 3, looking at some of the experiences, um, the very early experiences of these new Christians in Acts chapter 3 and 4, and then we'll even get into, into Acts chapter 5. So that's really where we're, where we're going today in, in, in our study. Before we actually read some of it, let me throw out a question for our panel here to think about and, and to consider. What is church? You might be kind of wondering, but but really, that, that, that I want that to sort of lay a bit of a, a bit of a platform for what we're about to to read together in, in this Bible study. Is anyone on the panel that wanted to to throw in some in, initial initial thought? What is church? I mean, first of all, I was thinking it's some sort of gathering. Okay. Us, because people say, "Oh, we are going to church," and people thinking that they will gather together there for for a reason. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. It's a collection of living stones, as compared to a collection of non-living stones living stones simply meaning people who are worshipping God okay thank you Len so drawing an insight there from an analogy I think that the scripture alludes to elsewhere thank you I Ken? think that that's a really good question Joseph and I'm sure people have many many different uh, answers to it I would perhaps look at it and say it's perhaps a collection of like-minded people okay like-minded people thank you Ken 
I read somewhere you, where somebody said it's a centre for the prevention of cruelty to human beings. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting statement by someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it's a, can be classed as a meeting house, study, prayer, worship. But I came across a statement, and I don't know if you've got it there at all, Joseph, but I thought this kind of encompassed it. It said, Enfeebled and ineffective as it may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows, in a special sense, his supreme regard. It is a theatre of his grace in which he delights to reveal his power to transform hearts. Mm. I thought that was a very good summary. Very good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I guess that means it's about people, Yeah. in short. It's not a building... Yeah. It's not an organization, it's the people. Um, the Greek word is ecclesia, and my rough memory of Greek, not, I want, not that I was a great Greek student many years ago, was that they're those who are called out. Yeah. And so that means it's the people, it's the group together, wherever they might be. So they might be, they might be gathering together for worship, they might be gathering together to play badminton, they might be gathering together to, um, I don't know, do anything. And, that, and that's church. Yeah, sure. Can I just add to what um, Stephen just said when he was saying the called out? Um, again, I was looking through commentaries and what have you, and I came across this. It says, most frequently the church is used to describe those who are called out from sin to righteousness, from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness, from the fading things of the world to the unshakable realities of the home above. These called ones believe in Jesus as the Son of God, accept him as their Saviour and Lord, and come together to study his word, to worship him as their Lord, and to share his message with those who do not know him. Mm. Called out. This is a great... You've actually gotten right into what, what I wanted to, us to explore. Thank you. Thank you for that, as we've touched on, on the meaning of the word church, Ecclesia. So the reason I wanted us to kind of look at that is because, like I, I stated at the very introduction, our study today covers passages of Acts 2 through to 5, which really is giving us a, a, a sort of a, a formative pic, a, a picture of the formative first Christian church. And um, the, the question that, that I want us to consider as we go through this whole study is, what did the church look like? And then we, we will be able to start making, shall we say, uh, comparisons, parallels, and even an application to us today and saying, does church today reflect the picture that we're seeing here in Acts? Yes, no, how much, etc. Let's not answer that right now. Let, let's get into it. Now, Stephen, thank you. Ecclesia. I wanted, just before we go to Acts 2.41, the, the, the word f- from the original languages, you mentioned that the Greek word used for church is ecclesia. That's right, yeah. And now, tell us again that the meaning of that Greek word, well, my essentially? My understanding is that it's called out. Right. So those who have been called out to follow. So it's those who choose to make a change in their life and follow after Jesus. Yeah. Someone else sort of suggested that the, the, some of the nuance or the, the meaning of the term is a gathering. Yeah. And, and you were saying before that can be uh, in a place of worship. It can be in a social setting. As we'll see in a moment, it, it can even be over a meal. So it essentially comes down to people gathered together so the word ecclesia and uh, the reason we highlight that is because there was another word that up until now amongst the the, the jewish mindset was used for church if i can say it that way uh, you aware of which word that was starting with the letter s synagogue synagogue interestingly in that book of acts this is not the term used to refer to this first church 
we're finding something new developing here. Synagogue. Does anyone want to comment on, on what the synagogue was? It's a place of teaching. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, now, there is a similarity, but interestingly, we're finding that the, the writer of the book of Acts is not using that word, doesn't use that word to describe this first church. So we're finding a, a, a transition that's developing there. Anyway, let's now go straight into Acts chapter 2. And uh, we, we would our first passage that we really want to look at is verses 42 through to, through to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And uh, Len, are you happy to read this for us, please? Thank of course. You. They, that's the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you, Len. Here we find, in a few short verses, a real description of that first, of that first church. What are the key characteristics that we notice here? What are some of the elements from this description? What, what, what did you notice? They were learning, they were fellowshipping, they were praying, they were praising, you know, they were of one purpose together, yeah. and things happened. Yeah, and yeah. if I, okay. just one aspect uh, which uh, really stood up for me is that all the believers, because we mentioned that there could be some other gatherings, you know, uh, social activities for people, but interesting enough that church reflects also all the believers. I mean, you need to have a direction, you need to have a, some sort of, uh, you know, commonality, as somebody puts it a bit earlier. I'm a member of club, for example, but probably you cannot call it church. Okay. I'd just Len, like to make yep. one comment about the breaking of bread. I recently read a book where somebody was trying to prove first day of the week was the um, day to worship. And they used the example of Paul when he was speaking to the people at Troas, where it mentioned they had come to break bread. This is one of the, uh, if you like, so-called proof texts to say that the worship should be has been changed from the seventh day to the first day of the week. But that was a one-off. But here you'll see the people broke bread daily in various homes. So really what it says about Troas has no, is no proof at all about Sunday worship. It just happened to be that Paul was in there at Troas on his way back to Jerusalem on Sunday. They met together and that was it. So when we look at this passage, um, what are the key characteristics of this church? Let's go through them. Number one is mentioned what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Apostles' teaching. So there is teaching, yeah, apostles' teaching, the doctrines happening. That, that, that's one. So if we're taking this as the description of not only of the first church, 
but the, the model church, the ideal church, we're, we're going to identify what are the key characteristics. So number one, it's based, and by the way, what was the apostles teaching? What would that have been? What, what's that a reference to? Well, I think it's a reference to Jesus' teaching because they spent three and a half years following exactly. and listening to his um, understanding of how God's people were to behave, how they were to live, how they were to reflect who God was. And so really that when they say the apostles' teaching, to my mind, they're saying Jesus' teaching. Yeah, yeah. And we may have needed to have actually made this connection before, but um, in a previous study as we looked at Acts chapter 1 and then the early part of Acts chapter 2, what we found is that these people had been with Jesus, they'd experienced the cross and his resurrection, and then the Spirit came, and as a result of that, a group is formed, which is the church. The church really comes out of uh, th that Pentecost experience. Mm. So that, that's the experience. And, and so now what you're touching on, Stephen, is these people had been with Jesus and his life, his ministry, and his teachings. Number one characteristic of the true church is that it's based on Jesus and his words, his teachings. Fair enough? Yeah. 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 Yes. Characteristic yeah. number one. Characteristic number two is what? I fellowship. Would have said they had uh, fellowship. Fellowship. Now, fellowship, that's a, well, outside of a more a spiritual, <coughs> religious kind of a context, we don't tend to use that word. So let's, let's define fellowship. What's fellowship? Well, they were spending time together. Spending time together. That, that's probably a, not a bad way of actually describing it. And what kind of time were they spending together? How are they spending that time? It gives us a bit of an insight here. Let's go into this now. Well, it looks like just about all time except when they were <laughs> asleep. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Uh, these were people who, could we say, enjoyed getting together, who wanted to get together, not just once a week for formal worship, fellowship. Yeah. Anything else about fellowship? For me, it implies equality amongst ah, the group okay you know okay. there there wasn't um so much infighting and things like that i believe that they were so filled with the spirit and they had the love of the lord in their heart you know there's a saying that says they'll know we are christians by our love yeah and to me that's what i see the first church as yes there were still problems but in the fellowship i i believe they were all on the, the same footing they were all equal somebody once said at the foot of the cross the ground is level mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. me that's what the fellowship epitomizes yeah. Yeah. so really spending time together being together doing life together characteristic number two and third characteristic well it right. appears maybe that uh, they were very good at giving to others yes but yes. before that uh, they sharing, were also united in prayer yes, yes. So, yeah okay so, all right yeah before we get to both of those it says to, to fellowship mm -hmm. and to breaking of bread. bread now Len you touched on the breaking of bread what's this a reference to now sometimes it's just taken as being what communion oh communion yeah. Communion. Yeah. Is it necessarily just that? No. No. Could it have been? No. Sorry. If you read First Corinthians eleven, it talks about um, how um, it gives a context to communion that's kind of different to how we do it these days. We have a much more formalised, structured approach to communion. But there, it seemed like it was an extension of what we would call a combined lunch okay. or a combined meal. Ah. ah and yeah. Paul says he doesn't like the way they do it because. What was happening was that um, those who had plenty were hoarding their plenty yeah. to themselves, and those who had less were not mm. were going away hungry. And he said, "This is not how we're supposed to break our bread." Essentially, yeah, yeah. And yeah. no, didn't good, verse forty-six mention that breaking bread from house to house ah. and ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Listening. So fellowship leading into sharing meals together. Mm. Mm. 
Nick, also uh, was mentioned about communion, and I believe that's a very important point, actually, because Jesus said, uh, every time when you'll do this, you'll do in remembrance of me. What that means, because they were gathered together, but to keep in mind that they are focused on what Jesus asked them to do. I mean, the Great Commission, if you like. And breaking bread, of course, was a daily need also, if you're talking about food, but it was that opportunity probably when they, every time, they remember mm. what Jesus did for them and what Jesus promised them. I think perhaps today, if, if you were to translate that into our language today, it would probably say they're having a meal together rather than actually breaking bread, which they probably did back in those days. Maybe had a solid loaf and they shared it around. But it, it clearly means that if they're having fellowship, it appears they had a lot of time together, so obviously they'd be having a lot of meals together as well. Yes, yes, yeah. So characteristic number two, fellowship. Uh, characteristic number three, which, which really comes out of fellowship and they're spending time together, is, is they were really doing life together, sharing meal together, um, being together. I just had a little look on my machine here and it says in the New Living Translation it says exactly what Ken said it says and to sharing in meals and then in brackets it got it has including the Lord's Supper uh, which I thought was interesting yeah. mm-hmm. sorry yeah, to interrupt fair point it's an interesting picture in both, a lot of both of your comments there um, Stephen and and, uh, and and also you you too Nick these people come together for a meal but it wasn't just a, oh well let's just fill our, our bellies so to speak we're, we're kind of hungry it was a time oh do you remember our Lord Jesus do you remember what he did for us that it's almost like they would pause for a moment, acknowledge that, and partake of the Lord's Supper. And so it was fresh, it was vivid, and they were, they were experiencing it together. Mm. Um, the next characteristic is prayer. Before you go on to that, Joseph, do you think maybe too in that time that they were fellowshipping and they were breaking the bread, they might have remembered the miracles of Jesus? That's so sad, You know, yeah. the bread going out. Mm. Um, and even Jesus, when he went on the road to Emmaus, they said, you know, when, when he sat down and broke bread, they realized who he was. Yeah. You know, maybe all those things were coming back. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go on to the next key characteristic, which is prayer. Clearly, the first Christian church was based on prayer. I'd like to say they were bathed in prayer. (laughs) Bathed in prayer. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And this is significant. We've, uh, in a previous, uh, in the previous chapter, Jesus instructed them to wait for the promise of the Father. And and while they waited, they, they gathered together and prayed. And the Spirit came, the power came. And yet, even after the power has come, clearly they continue to, to pray. Len. So, is it saying that there's a direct correlation between prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, what do the rest of you think? Well, I, I think the uh, these disciples or these uh, followers of Christ at the time they would have spent a lot of time with Jesus and we read many times in the scriptures that Jesus was always in prayer uh, any free time he had uh, morning and night he was always praying and his followers would have noticed this and uh, I'm sure they were doing likewise yeah no okay thank you Ken anybody else I'd like to suggest that it's not just prayer but it's all of those things yeah um, it says here they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If they weren't devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was derived from Jesus' teaching, then why would God send his spirit to be with them? He wouldn't, you know? And then it says that they were in fellowship. That means that they were together. Yeah. So there was a sense of group. 
Um, it says that they were sharing their food together, which is a basic human need. We need to eat. So that, that was going on. And then there was prayer. I think it's the whole group of those things that means that God has a capacity to work. And clearly prayer here was a way of life, not an ad hoc, mm. occasional thing. It, it, it was natural. Jesus himself regularly prayed. And, and so these are his early followers who are, who are continuing that. What, one more characteristic that I want us to notice here. The other thing I think is interesting, it says in the Bible, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. Yeah. And so it's almost like group prayer seems to get a, a particular thumbs up yeah, over, yeah. over individual prayer when you read that passage. That's a good point. And, and probably just to Thank add you. on that, I was thinking on the same line, uh, considering that we live in a very individualistic society, uh, uh, you know, you can see that they were gathered together in one accord, putting their belongings together. And that was a, a very important reason, you know, to share together and to eat together because they were not coming with each one of them with their uh, sandwich and with their, uh, you know, they had all things together and they were sharing together. But if it's a lesson to apply for our time and the church, which we experience today, maybe that's one of the things which we should consider even more, you know, to to share a bit more. I think also, uh, Nick, one of the other things that I think is quite important is if when we read down to verse 47, it says that new people were joining this group every day mm. and it seems to be quite large numbers. So I think they also needed to pray for guidance, for help and, and to share all they had with all these new mm. people and mm. to get the new people to see this is the way we do it. Yeah. Well, they certainly experienced growing pains. So when you read Acts chapter 7 and the like, it becomes yes. very clear that they were struggling to work out how to manage all of this. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, What a good problem to have. Oh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so another characteristic there, and I'm glad you, you alluded to that one there, about the sharing. We, we have, uh, of course, a um, couple of verses there tucked in near the end of chapter 4. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. Acts 4, 32 to 35. And um, Helen, if you can read perhaps just a couple of those verses, we'll get the idea very quickly there what, what characteristic it's highlighting there of this first church. Okay, 4 verse 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And I think verse 34 covers too, neither was there any among them that lacked. Mm. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the pieces, you know, the prices of the things that were sold. They were willingly helping each other. No one was trying to be greedy and taking more than he needed. It was only as the need came, they sold things to help each other out. That was a caring and sharing. Yes, And exactly. I think there's a good lesson for us here. I don't know that that means that we have to all go out and sell our homes and, <laughs> and what have you. But mind you, if the Holy Spirit <laughs> gives you that message, well, maybe we need to follow it. But I think in this time, it was a very poor economy in that, in that time, if you're looking at the context of when they were living. And um, there was a lot of need among the people. And, and I think also that it stops a lot of selfishness, doesn't mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. when we're caring for other people. So I think that's important. And just to mention that there was not a a condition to sell your goods and to belong to the group. 
that was uh, true. Willing, willing for them willingly yes. to to put that together and and probably they you could still have your um, possessions you know but th- your possession or not just for you you know you're thinking what i can do with what i have can i contribute to the well-being of the whole group but also to the, the advancement of the gospel because i believe this was very the their first uh, priority there's an old song we used to sing when i was a kid yeah can't help ourselves can we helen (laughs) there's an old song we used to sing when i was a kid you know he owns the cattle on a thousand hills the wealth in every mine he owns rivers and the rocks and rules the The sun and stars that's that's it helen yeah Yeah. and so the point is that everything everything there is there is always all gods even the stuff that we have are his i think let's remember though that the reason that they did it was not to grandiose or pride although we will see that later with a couple later on but they did it out of love that was their motivation i believe they were dipped in the vat of love if you like um by christ and this overflowed len you wanting to say something Nick mentioned earlier that the society that we live in these days is quite individualistic. Some years ago, my wife and I went to Shipshawana in Indiana in the United States of America, which is the center of an Amish community. And it's interesting how the Amish people live in it's almost the same as what we are talking about now from the early church mentioned in the book of Acts. A couple gets married, The whole community comes in and builds them a house. They don't have any churches. They go around to different homes every week for worship and prayer meeting, I don't know what else. But the community is very self-contained in that respect. And they do all these things. And the interesting thing is they lose very few of their young people to the outside world most of the young people remain in the Amish group if I could just mention on that one because we don't want necessarily people to have the idea that we all should become uh, Amish (laughs) you know Uh, the idea is that you need to be aware of not to be exclusivist not to, to be inclusivist and to have that um, to capture that great commission which God gave us to go to the end of the world. But to do that, you need to find a common ground. And probably that's the example which, Len, you just brought it. These people have a common ground. And if that common ground can be used to reach out to the end of the uh, the world, how, how great that can be. Yeah, I think the other thing is that the point is that the culture functioned differently. Mm. Mm. So we live in a culture where... Um, the value of the individual is almost more than the well is more than the value of the community. Um, whereas the Amish, the value of community, it seems, is is the priority. And in Jesus' day and in the apostles' day in first century world, the community was the was the most important thing. Whereas these days, that's been turned on its head, and the individual is the most important thing. Each approach comes with its benefits, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but I do think that. In many respects, we have undervalued community as a result of that. And I think that's a tragedy because at the end of the day, when when people are in need and when people are functioning, uh, when things are going badly, it's community that comes to their rescue. Yeah, And I think that we've mishandled that a little bit as a society. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, thank you, everyone. We, we, we've really spent quite a considerable period of time really exploring this particular passage, but I believe it's been really important to do this because... In these few short verses, particularly Acts 2, 42 to 47, and then, then, then the one there uh, over in Acts chapter 4, the couple of verses there, 32 through to 34, 
give us a picture of this first church and as I said this is really the this is the model church and th just to pull it together now very briefly we've said that it was based on on the apostles doctrine or teaching which was really essentially the, the, um, Jesus teaching the, the word the word of God fellowship prayer life of sharing and caring and then one other characteristic here it says praising God verse 47 praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added daily to their number so it was it was a a, a worshiping community where also it was an evangelistic clearly an evangelistic community so th they are the key characteristics and it, it's important to keep this in mind when 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 we think of church today when we look at church today we are challenged by this passage because this should provide for us like a template to say is church as as described here because this is this this is really really the model mm, it's good let's now move on and now we start to seeing some experiences of this early group let's go straight into acts 3 very next chapter acts chapter 3 we have a we have a story here and len i might i might refer to you for a moment here if you don't mind it refers to peter and john going to the temple which and is which is interesting and and something happens yes please and on the way there were some people carrying a lame person to the temple to the gate where he used to sit and beg. Lame, a lame person. Lame. Yep. Yes. And uh, Peter and John came along. They had the uh, carriers had probably put him down at this stage. He was sitting on the ground, probably asking for arms. Sorry, now what, what was arms? Can you just explain that for us? Those things no, are not lambs. Probably would have liked that as well. <laughs> arms is charity. <laughs> I've um, actually given money to beggars in the past too, but they were just asking for money for the support. Anyhow, Peter and John came along, and this man's asking for arms, and Peter was the spokesperson in this case, and he said, look at us. And he looked straight at them, and they looked straight at him, and Peter said, and I'll read this from verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, before this discussion gets opened up, I was, I was thinking quite a bit about this. What did Peter and John have? Well, they had the power of the Holy Spirit. We've just read that in the previous chapter. They obviously had the gift of healing. They had the assurance that Jesus was alive in heaven, and this is uh, shown up a little bit later on. Mm. They had the assurance of salvation. They had the assurance that Jesus was with them through the Holy Spirit. They had confidence in knowing that what they believed was sure and certain. And then the last thing of this extensive list is that they had the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom are simply the words that will bring a person to the point where they will have eternal life. Mm. And I'd, I'd just like to add to that they also had the desire to share with others. Oh, yes. yes. I think that's important to, yes. to note. I yes. think we need to think about our, here where we stand. You know, um, what have we to give? What have we to give? And, and I think that's a very important question. And you've just outlined a whole heap there, Len. And I think, you know, can we tick off the list as well? You know, when you're filled with Christ, does it not burn in your heart that you want to give, you want to share, you want to witness? 
thank you for the, those insights. This, this really is, is quite an interesting passage. I mean, we, it can be tempting to sort of just skip over it and kind of think, yeah, okay, that's a nice sort of little miracle here. It's almost sort of an extension of the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, fair enough. But let's not forget now, we're, we're talking about this new community, new church. What insights is it giving us about life in the early church? You've highlighted some things that I think are very, very significant for us here. Peter and John make this statement, silver and gold we don't have. What are they indicating? Can I just add who before are they, we get who to Who are they reaching sorry, out to? Please, before yeah. we get to that, this miracle was not done in secret. No, that's true. They yeah. were at the temple. You know, this man was, at, if you like, on the steps of the temple, and, and he couldn't walk, so obviously his friends brought him there. Yeah. And it was done in full witness of other people. Yeah. That shows a boldness, does it not? You know, the the, the disciples and weren't <laughs> there in the corner saying, well, I'll try this, yeah. you know, see if it works, and if it works, then I'll, I'll let people <laughs> know. They didn't do that. It was openly done. They were bold. They were courageous. They were moved by the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you, Helen. Nick? Can I just say something about the silver and gold? Because it's interesting that Jesus himself mentioned that his kingdom is not from this world. Mm. For example, sil silver and gold represents this world, represents what people are chasing in this world. But Peter and John, it's offering to this person something else, which okay. is not from this world and which is from heaven mm. and for eternity. And that's why I believe even though we're chasing, in, even today, we're chasing so much riches and treasures, and we forget that those things will keep us stuck here on this earth rather than to prepare us for heaven. So they were offering a priceless gift, weren't yeah. they? Len? I wonder if Peter handed this beggar a bag full of gold, and if the man knew that he could have the bag of gold or he could have the ability to walk, which he would have preferred. Well, I think he would have gone for the latter because that was of much more value to him to be able to walk, to interact with people, not to be dependent and so on. And this comes back to the question you asked, Helen, what do we have to give? In fact, money, money is transitory. It doesn't mean much. You can have it today and it's gone tomorrow. It sure is. But the words of life that come to us from the scriptures, which we've learned from Jesus himself, that's of much more value. Can I uh, just take this a bit of a step further? When we think of church today, so many people associate church with what? Money. Yeah. They're after our money. They're after our money. And here, here is a significant statement. And, and now, you know, it, when we consider, some see Peter as the, the leader of the church, the head of the church, and, uh, and from this church, what, what descended. But I remember coming across a thought that was expressed, where the church that developed through the, uh, through the centuries, and I'm referring particularly to to, to the state church of the medieval ages. The thought was expressed that that went along these lines. Peter may have said, silver and gold have I none, but never again do we want it to be said that silver and gold we do not have. <laughs> you know, we might be able to laugh at that a little bit, um, thinking about what they might be referring to, but jokes aside, we're getting a real significant insight here into, into this community of believers, aren't we? As we've said, it wasn't based on the things of this world, transitory things. They had had an experience with Jesus themselves, and that's what they were offering. Mm -hmm. And they were reaching out 
this was a, a lame person. Remember in that society, how would, it, how would this person have been considered? Outcast. 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 Yeah. This is a community that's reaching out to those. Mm. This is not a community that's exclusive just for the high and the mighty. Mm. But isn't that what Jesus did? Oh, exactly. He the untouchables. Exactly. That's right. That's mm. right. Yeah. So thank you. Let's, let's now carry on into... Uh, if we can consider the second part of this chapter, if, if you don't mind. So uh, put it in, here into context. We have... The miracle occurs, as has been mentioned. Uh, this is at the, at, at the temple entrance. There's people around. It's witnessed. There's. A, it says at the end of uh, verse 10, Acts 3, verse 10, that people were filled with wonder, wonder and amazement at what had happened, and that's understandable. And then Peter has an opportunity to speak to the crowd mm. from verse 11 through to verse 24. Isn't it just wonderful? Sorry, I'm but I'm jumping in here, Joseph. But I just I could just see this whole scene and Peter virtually saying, "Why are you wondering? Why are you so amazed? You know, the power is from God. You know." And he's, I, I could just see him just he was probably even awestruck the fact that people didn't even um, seem to acknowledge yes. what happened and where the power came from. I could just imagine Peter not being sarcastic but saying, "Why are you marveling us at this?" You know, don't you know God's got the power? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, Len and I then Ken. I know we're sort of um, breaking into what you were going to to uh, talk about, but I just want to comment something on what Helen said. That why are you amazed? At this God has done it. But you'll notice the wording in verse uh, thirteen. He says, "The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." Why did he use that terminology? It's because the Jewish people, um, mm. if you like, their heritage was built on the fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So in this sense, Peter was reaching out to them, them by simply using that terminology. Good point. That's something yeah. along the lines, Leon, I was going to say that we have to remember that the temple... Uh, as such was the Jewish temple and had somewhat perhaps different teachings from what this new group was doing and I'm sure they hadn't probably witnessed anything like this in the past even though they'd been there a long long time so again this group uh, they were although they were going to the temple to pray they also had this miraculous power of the Holy Spirit with the signs following uh, thank you for that because I, I actually wanted to just um, bring out for us here and for all our listeners, this passage in Acts 3, 11 to 24, which is, this is sort of like a sermon, a presentation, a talk by Peter gives to the crowd in a sentence. What What is Peter saying here? Well, he's giving glory, first of all, to, to God, mm -hmm. isn't he? Yep. And he's saying, look at your past and now look what you've done. And he's preaching Christ crucified right. and, and and ascending, isn't yep. he? Yep. Which is interesting because in that group of people, there were a group that didn't believe in resurrection. Uh, and he was cutting right across yeah. um, their own beliefs. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's quoted from or was alluded back to, again, something that would have been uh, significant for those listeners who were from a, the Jewish background, clearly. Uh, the reference, as you, as you mentioned, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's making making the link there, isn't he? Yes, this is new, but this is actually uh, an extension, if we can put it that way, or in a fulfilment of of what has you know, what the Old Testament had had laid as a platform, culminating in the in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and this is now what we're, we're called to, to be like and to do. Is, is that a fair way of sort of putting it? What do you and think? I would say it's also the point is getting across this is the same God. It's some, not yeah. some new God. This yeah. is the original God that we we're dealing with. Good, good. good. Len? Um, to put it in one sentence, this is what I would say, that what Peter said, the God of the Jewish fathers has glorified Jesus who died and was resurrected and it's in his power that this man was healed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. I and I was just going to mention Nick? that, um, you know, again, like in our time or back then, people were embedded in a, some sort of tradition, one form or the other, you know, and we can be in that danger to just function as a church, but in a tradition way. But we need to bring us back again to what God intended for each one of us. And that's what I like, that uh, bridge, actually, when uh, Peter is, it's, you know, the Bible is mentioning about, uh, you know, the fathers, you know, mm. uh, and uh, the reality in which we live. Because we are not going to be just a, a new church movement, whatever you want to call it, and put behind everything else from before. Because actually we need to build on the things which we forget. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if I step back and I look at this story, it seems to me that there's a need, they meet the need, and the praise and the glorification of God as a result of the healing of this person provides them a platform to be able to share who Jesus is. And I think that's how life always works. If we want to share Jesus with someone, we have to connect with that person, usually at the level of need. Yeah. And once we've met a need in some way, then we have an opportunity to be able to share in response to the person's response to our meeting of their need. That sounds a bit gobbledygooky, but that seems to me to be the way the way it works best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too that Peter wasn't backwards in coming forwards. Okay. He he literally said, You crucified yeah. him and, and here we are, we're witness to his his resurrection, we're witness to his ascension, we're witness to his power, and that must have pricked their heart. So now let, let's move on. To, uh, we need to keep going for time. We we've still got to get into Acts four and five in our time remaining acts chapter four there's a new development acts chapter four if we have a look at verses one to three and uh stephen do you have it there yeah I do please it says the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the sadducees came up to peter and john while they were speaking to the people so this is just happening right yeah they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in jesus the resurrection of the dead they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. What's taking place now? What's the new development? Opposition. Persecution. It, it's interesting, but where is the opposition coming from? Ah. It's not from the people, because we clearly saw earlier on that the people, it appeared, loved these uh, new followers, this new group, because they were so good to them. So the opposition's coming from inside the temple. Notice verse 4, though. It says, yeah. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So even though these guys are getting dragged off, as it were, and popped in the, I don't know, in the jail, um, the people are still responding like Kim was saying. This is fascinating. Thank you. Fascinating. So we have opposition. Why is the opposition coming? To what is it? What's the opposition to? Where is it from? And yet, what are the results? Did you get all that? Well, the opposition yeah. to the teaching. Threatened the religious leaders, didn't yeah. it? Every they, time that Jesus mm. is being shared, there's going to be what? Opposition. There's going to be opposition. Yeah. Mm. Uh, where is it coming from? Now, you, you, you touched on this, Ken. 
Yes, it, it's, it comes from inside the temple because the, uh, the rabbis and, and Jewish priests, they had a following which, which they liked ah. and they liked all the uh, uh, things that right. accompany that and they were losing a lot of people and this new group that appeared to come out of nowhere all of a sudden and were growing at a rapid rate, they were losing people to them and that wouldn't, they wouldn't have been happy with that. Just a short comment. It was coming from the establishment. Ah, this is significant, isn't it? The institution, yes. The establishment, verse, uh, yeah, is is um, is reacting to what they see as a new threat. Was it pride on their behalf? Well, well, they were trying to hang on to their popularity, popularity, mm. yeah. their their religious culture. Mm. They didn't want to see that slip away because what would happen to them? Here they were at the top of the tree, so to speak. And here's this subversive movement, as they're seeing it, happening, which might mean their little castle gets toppled too. Yeah, so it's from the establishment. So it says, we read there, this is the uh, captain, the priests, the Jewish priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. Uh, further on in verse 14, 15, they ordered them to withdraw from the, from the Sanhedrin. What was the Sanhedrin? Well, that was the ruling council. So these guys were brought before the ruling council, presumably, and they listened to what they had to say. Ruling council of what? Uh, put of in the our establishment. Terms. Do we see here what's emerging? We have the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, the priests. Interestingly, the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees had different, some different beliefs, and yet they come together. They come together here. Mm. Uh, I guess the Sanhedrin's across all the varying the right. varying groupings because there were a number of groupings within Judaism and the Thank Sanhedrin you. was like Good. an umbrella organisation which held it all together, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I see this as tradition actually ver uh, versus the ah, Holy Spirit's yeah. power. Yeah. It's tradition. Which one? I think even Peter goes on to say, you know, don't trust in or don't, you know, follow. Is it better to follow God or man? Yeah. Which one yeah. do you want? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that came out fairly clearly because yeah. they did follow tradition. To be fair to them, though, I would imagine that they were concerned. How is this new group going to function? What impact is it going to have on society? Will it cause a lack of social cohesion? If there's a lack of social cohesion, what will that do on our relationship with our Roman overlords? There's probably a lot of things going on inside their mind. It's not just um, a threat to our power base. There's a threat to our existence, possibly even sitting in the back of their mind, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm... Exaggerate. Maybe I'm stretching it out too much, but there's probably a whole lot of um, elements. elements that are causing them to be concerned about what this new group's going to be doing. So you could say that was sad, you see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, yeah. A very quick point that, uh, you know, the, these leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they uh, thought, they understood that they are from the privileged class. And this man, which was the outcast of society, you know, he was... Oh, the crippled man that got healed. Man, yeah. yeah, the lame he, man. He yeah. was, he was you know, whatever, he was cursed, or he was, you know, not experiencing God mm. uh, because of his sins. That's why they understood. Mm. But again, because Jesus, when he came and he mingled with all the people in need, and that's why, again, even against Jesus, these rulers, they have all sorts of, uh, you know, rejection and pressure yeah. on. Yeah. But this, in this aspect, I believe that um, the leaders of the church for that day, they were so angry because they could see in the simple, uh, this uneducated, if you yes. like, people, the miracles of God yeah. 
happening and yeah probably that was yeah. touching yeah. some sensitive chords yeah. there yeah. Yeah. I guess that one qualification they weren't uneducated they just weren't educated in the temple schools. Ah, okay. They were educated in the local synagogue. We, we talked about the synagogue before. The synagogue was like a church and a school together. As you said, Nick, it was a place of education. So these guys were educated. They just hadn't been educated at the, at the Ivy League college, if that makes any sort of. They hadn't <laughs> been educated at the temple. And so yeah. when they came along to, to share what they knew, these guys are going, well, we don't know you. You're not from our lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're stunned that they know stuff. Yeah, yeah. Len? Well, I don't know if we're getting ahead of uh, where you would like us to be, but there's a part here that really fascinates me. It's in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Mm. Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And what I would like to point out here is... (coughs) Being with Jesus makes all the difference. Amen. Mm. It gives purpose. Mm-hmm. It changes lives. It gives dignity. It gives hope. It gives forgiveness. It gives a right understanding. It gives victory and boldness and knowledge and wisdom and reassurance. Being with Jesus makes all the difference, made the difference with Peter and John, and it makes the difference with us too. And thank you for that, uh, because that, that really is a key verse. So I pr- appreciate that being highlighted. Acts 4, verse 13, the, these Jewish leaders, this, the Sanhedrin, they confer, verse 16, what are we going to do with these men, we read there? Uh, everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle. We cannot deny it. Then we come down to... Well, they say, they say let's make them quiet. Yes. Let's keep them quiet. <laughs> let's stop them teaching. Yes. So it's the teaching they're worried about. The miracle they can't deny, but the teaching they want them to stop. Good point. And uh, Peter and John in verse 19 reply, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go, it says in verse 21. Mm. Opposition from The the establishment. Well, the what? next few words are kind of important because it says, because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. <sighs> so th- yeah. these guys were g- gathering a following and they didn't want to, they didn't, again, it's back to this idea of keeping, keeping society calm and controlled and not getting out of order. Do you know what I mean? And yet, despite the opposition, the numbers of believers were growing. Growing. Interesting. Mm. Let's move on to Acts 5. We have here an quite a disturbing story isn't it mm-hmm. Acts 5 why don't we have a look at this these few verses Acts 5 and uh, uh, Len if you could read Acts 5 verse 1 through to about 9 now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to, lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, 
and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Disturbing story, is it not? Yeah. Look at verse 11. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Not surprising. No. Not surprising. Now, it's Satan cannot uh, destroy the good work from outside, you know, from some pressure Mm. on. He will try from within. What's going on here? I mean, we're now talking about the early, the first church, group of believers, and yes, we saw how things were going, and yes, there, there is some opposition, but doesn't this incident really strike us and sort of confront us? I guess if you step back from the story and you say, what is Peter calling for? The short answer is he's calling for integrity. Ah. He's asking that people be honest. He said to them, it was your land. You had the power to sell it, and you had the power to give the money. The implication was they could have said, look, we want to keep some of the money back for ourselves, but here's here's 50% of the value of the price, and there would have been no trouble. Yeah. So what he's after is integrity. Um, and so often um, people fail in that area. In particular, in which sphere? In the uh, Yeah, well, among leadership, I guess. Religious leadership? Yeah. I mean, this is, we're talking about life in the church, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and we're flipping very quickly to today's times. What's one of the biggest objections, criticisms thrown at church? Religious leaders? Integrity issues. Or the lack of. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, integrity, there was another word I was thinking of, and that is hypocrisy. I think the other thing is just doing what is perceived to be the right thing to do. So, sometimes, ah, I guess, okay. think of the, the Royal Commission and, and the, what's been going on in society at the moment, and you think of the fact that the, the main complaint, really, is that the church is perceived as hiding behind processes in order to defeat what is what seems to be fair and right and decent and I, so I guess it brings me back so when Ananias and Sophia conspired to to mislead if I can use that word they they were not acting with integrity and, 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 and Peter squashed that straight away said no this is not how we're going to be we're going to act honestly and above board we're going to be transparent mm. Mm. it was premeditated deception really wasn't it mm. they conspired together I think it's interesting that just before um, chapter one, uh, chapter 5 verse 1 in the last couple of mm. verses of chapter 4 Peter actually gives um, talks about Barnabas and if you look at the contrast, it's like, I'm sorry, not Peter, Luke. Luke shows us what can happen to people when they come together by the leading of the Spirit, yes. i.e. like Barnabas and the others. But it also shows that what can happen when people forgo the Spirit in pursuit of their own interests. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's quite a contrast I here. think the other thing is that Barnabas becomes a leader. Yes. yes. Like he isn't, just, he isn't just your local yokel. He becomes a leader in the organisation. When, so when Ananias and Sapphira, if we can just extend this idea of leadership acting with integrity, when Ananias and Sapphira come along, they um, maybe their perception is that if we do this, we could gain significance in, in, in the group. Mm. We could take leadership kind of status. And so they do that, but they act in a misleading way. Mm. They tried to make out that they had... They were giving the whole, but it was only part. After this incident, Peter and John are arrested a second time, and uh, we have them brought before the Sanhedrin again. You read about that in Acts 5, uh, verse 27. 
statement by Peter and the apostles, a famous statement. He says, we must, in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. And uh, then we find that they are flogged in verse 40, but they are led to go. Uh, and I wanted to, to leave this with us before we uh, draw, draw our take-home messages. Verse 41, very end of chapter 5, Acts 5. 41 and 42. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Yeah. <laughs> Capital N name, referring to the name of Jesus, Jesus of course. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. Life in the early church. As we wrap up in the last minute or two that we've got remaining what are the take-home messages that you have Len? Well I have different ones but I really am referring to what Peter and John said to the Sanhedrin after this second arrest and I thought of it a bit like a boxing match and in one corner you had the Sanhedrin and the other corner had Peter and John and uh, you know when in boxing if somebody goes down the referee starts counting and this is how I saw it one Jesus is now alive two Jesus is exalted three Jesus has God's approval four the Christian movement had power and God's approval five sins are forgiven through Christ six their religious culture was ineffective that is of the Jews I didn't go up to ten, but it would have been <laughs> a count out. Thank you. Anyone else with a take-home message? As we've looked in this time together in our study of Acts 2 through to 5, the, the picture of the first church, we've looked at that and we've spent a bit of time applying it to our churches today. What is it that, that, that that's your take-home message? I think Jesus told the disciples, didn't he? He said, once you've received the Holy Spirit, you know, he gave them a command to go, first to Jerusalem, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. He's given us a command in Matthew mm. 28, and he's telling us to go, like the disciples, not to sit. He doesn't say go and just sit in a pew there. He says go, doesn't he? We need to show the world Jesus through our life, through our relationship with Jesus, we need to let the people know that the, the world is dying, the mm. world is actually doomed. But as I think I said last week, with Christ it's an endless hope. Mm. And we can hang on to that. And I'd like to just mention a quote that is a very dear quote to me, and, and I believe it epitomizes the disciples back then. It says, there is no limit to the usefulness of one who putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon the heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God and that is what the early church did. Although they had their problems as we've just seen. Yeah. Yeah. So they weren't perfect by any stretch. Oh. But I like what Gamaliel says in the council. He says This is in Acts five. Yeah. But if it is from God you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. Yeah. And I, I think at the end of the day, God's purposes always triumph. Mm. They always succeed. They always win. And in Jesus the battle is already won. Yeah, there's still a war going on, but the victory is assured. Absolutely. And that's what they've got to share and that's what we have to share and it's a wonderful bit of news. Yeah. The fact is, um, as you said before, was it that hope. What was that, what was that phrase, Helen? With Christ, it's endless hope. Without him, it's a hopeless end. But it's exactly him, it's what I was hope. thinking. Without him, yes. it's a hopeless end. And so we are involved in a business 
if I can use that phrase, that is already won and is going to be successful. Mm. The question is, do you want to join in? And, and what, what happened there is uh, almost typical of what happened later on. When Protestantism arose in Europe, there was, a, um, there was opposition from the establishment. And so what happened back in Acts happened later on, and it's still happening, of course. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. It's been a fascinating insight into the life of the first church, the Christian church, the early church established by Jesus. And in conclusion, what we see here is a new movement that was, that was developed, that was raised based on Jesus and his teaching, a community of caring and sharing, and a, a community that uh, was bathed in prayer. And a, it, it, as long as today the church continues to be a movement that demonstrates these characteristics, it will be a movement that will continue to grow and develop. Okay. Let's Amen. conclude with prayer. Father God, we thank you for our study today of the book of Acts, and we pray that you'll bless each person in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for being with us, and um, I would like you to consider that uh, you can play a very important part in the family of God just walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Until next time, may God bless.